to the Gospel of Mark chapter 7, the Gospel of Mark chapter 7, the title of the lesson this evening is Out of Step with Tradition, Out of Step with Tradition, Mark chapter 7, our main text will be verse number 5, but I will read the first five verses. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they washed their hands, often eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? Out of step with tradition. Of course, if you've ever seen one of those old commercials or scenes where a little kid is marching in the band and he's the one that's out of step with everyone, then you have some indication of what I'm talking about tonight. There are times where you have to do something different than everybody else is doing. Now, tradition is just... Another way of describing some pattern or a particular habit, all traditions are not bad. Paul even told Timothy to hold fast to good traditions. And all of us have them, regardless of how we try to describe our life. But every year about this time of the year, there are always people who are having to think about where to go for the holidays. Because it's maybe been a tradition in the family that we open all the gifts on Christmas Eve with mom and dad. But on Christmas Day, we go to grandparents' home. But then sometimes when kids get older and have their own kids, at some point they want to establish their own traditions in their family. And I've had couples come to me sometimes. They say, Pastor... You know, we always have gone to my grandfather's or we've always gone to my mom and dad's. But now that our kids are coming of age, we'd kind of like to do something a little bit different rather than going with them. We like to establish our own traditions around the tree at Christmas time. What do you think we ought to do? Well, I can tell you right now that's quicksand and pastor doesn't ever step into that one. I tell them you, you have to make the decision yourself. But whenever you try to break out of a mold or alter a pattern, somebody's usually going to be affected by it. There'll be positive consequences. There'll be negative consequences for other people. But usually that first time when the young people step out of the traditional pattern and they're opening the gifts at home, somewhere in the back of that husband's mind or in the back of that wife's mind, they're thinking about, I wonder how grandma is handling this right now. Because we don't like to change when God is working in our life to do something different. 
We have to understand that the change of a holiday tradition is not the same as transgressing the law of God. That there are traditions in the lives of many religious people that they honestly believe are equal to what God's word says. And that's what this passage is all about this evening. Jesus had been in the area of Galilee, and it says in verse number one that the Pharisees and scribes ventured up, to, ventured up into that area from Jerusalem in order to speak with him. The Pharisees were the narrowest sect of the Jewish religion. They certainly were the strictest sect. They were, they were a fraternal brotherhood. According to tradition, you had to be married and at least have a son to be a part of the Pharisees. And their beliefs had continued from the preceding generation of rabbis who received their beliefs from the preceding generation of rabbis before them going back hundreds of years. And the whole point of this tradition of elders or traditions of elders, it all came about because Moses, having received from God the Ten Commandments and then the greater part of the law that says you should do this, you shouldn't do this, Rabbis later on said, in order to keep people from breaking the commandments of God, let's put together some teachings to encourage people to avoid certain things. So where the scripture says you're not supposed to commit adultery, we'll tell people that you should not come within this many feet of a woman that's not part of your family, and so on and so forth. And pretty soon people came to understand and memorize the traditions more than they did the word of God. The scribes, of course, were the ones who copied the scriptures. They had precise and exact requirements to do so. They had to be able to write on that parchment and had to be able to have so many letters per page. And they had to have so many words per column. And when they began to write, if ever there was some kind of a scratch or an ink blot that occurred on that parchment, they had to discard the parchment and start all over again. The scribes and the Pharisees were well respected because they did know the word of God quite well. But the problem was they believed more in the traditions of the elders than they did in the scriptures. It's easy for that to happen. The traditions of any group, the traditions of any church. The traditions of any family can become so great that they supersede the power of God's word in a person's life. So verse two, you can see the last three words there. It says they found fault. That's where we get our modern phrase, the uh, fault finders from. There are always people looking to find fault, looking to discover something wrong. And in this example, they found that the disciples weren't washing their hands according to the tradition of the elders. I don't want to leave you with the impression that this meant that they would be out in the fields and doing all kinds of stuff and then just come right in and grab, grab something to eat and they didn't bother to even wash their hands or anything like that. No, they weren't washing their hands according to the traditions. So the, the ancient traditions with the rabbis would have been that when you're preparing for a meal and you're coming from the marketplace, then of course you're going to roll your sleeves up. And for them, it's the washing of the hands from the fingertip all the way to the elbow. And you would have had to wash and scrub those things for several minutes. Those were the traditions. The disciples very well could have came in and just stuck their hands under the water and then sat down and began to eat. They didn't handle the traditions and hold to the traditions as the rabbis and the Pharisees and scribes did. 
But anytime you step outside the traditional pattern, you're going to anger people. And this is exactly what they did. These folks were so incensed that they're disobedient to their traditions, they even asked Jesus, I don't understand why your folks don't hold to the traditions of the elders. Well, Jesus had something to say to them in reply. And he made it very plain there in verse number six that Isaiah prophesied about you folks some 750 years ago. But let me say something about the question in verse 5. Why don't your disciples follow the traditions of the elders? I can answer that for you. It's because they follow the traditions of Jesus. And if you're following Christ, you don't have to follow all the traditions of the elders. Traditions have a tendency to accumulate because people want the ability to control the behavior and conduct of folks. So let's consider the different kinds of churches that we have today with the strong traditions. There was a time where if you were in certain churches, Holiness Baptist Churches of the South, I know my grandpa was a Baptist preacher for over 80 years, and there were certain churches like that and some full gospel churches where a lady couldn't wear a pair of pants, certainly couldn't wear a pair of pants in church. It'd be people that would pass out if they would have saw a woman come to church in a pair of pants back in the 50s or maybe even the 60s. And in some places in the South, it's still like that. And there are places where they have the traditions where they still don't allow the ladies to wear any kind of makeup. Now, Tiffany and I were talking about this the other day when we were driving. And I told her, I said, there are a whole lot of churches where I would love to preach the gospel according to Mary Kay. Because I would try to help her make as much money as I could in certain places. I, years ago, many, many years ago, I had to go to Hastings to preach in a home church. And it happened to be an African-American family that was running this church. So the house was packed. I was in the basement. People were everywhere. And afterwards, they had all of this good southern food that I like. Oh, it was good. I'm telling you. It was good. So then I don't I don't even think I had Tiffany up here with me then. And so I wasn't getting as many good home cooked meals as I could get. So I was quite happy to be there for this one. And so after we had the church service and the sons and daughters and everybody came upstairs, other people had left and they asked me to stick around. They had all of this food. So I had some collard greens over here, had some had me some uh, cornbread with a little jalapenos and there and then had me some fried chicken, some dressing. Oh, I was having the time of my life. And, and then the, the pastor's wife, who was one of these old fashioned people who did not like ladies to wear pants or any kind of makeup or anything like that. She got one of them talking spells while I was eating and she just wanted to start saying all kinds of things. So I'm enjoying my food and she's saying stuff like, well, Brother Daryl, I want you to know I've got that revelation on that Jezebel paint that so many of these ladies are wearing today. Well, of course, you know, in the Old Testament tells the story of Jezebel, how she sat in the window fixing herself up and putting makeup on. And so a lot of preachers used to use that story in order to preach against the ladies who would wear that. So she's going through all of that and she's telling me this and I'm eating and she's about this close to me as she's telling me all of this as I'm eating. I'm not saying anything. I'm wise. Got to be respectful to your elders. But the whole time I'm thinking to myself, just a little bit of makeup 
would enhance your beauty immensely. Immensely. Traditions. Believe me when I tell you, there are places to this day that hold to those kind of views. I preached a revival in North Carolina one time, and we had a night where I was off, and so we decided to go to another church that was in revival. The ones that took me were people who did not have any uh, pants on or makeup, the ladies, but there was one who did, and the lady came in with us, and we were in the back of the church, and we had our hands lifted up, worshiping God, and people from the church came and gathered around the lady that was with us who had makeup on, and they all started praying around us, and oh God, save her soul, save her God, because of makeup, see? Traditions. These things don't have anything to do with scripture, They have everything to do with the beliefs that people have. I've come in contact with individuals who can tell me more about the doctrines of their church and the council, or I should say the the verdicts that have been passed down in the synods and in the conventions. They can tell me more about those statements than they can about the Bible. They'll be ready to fight you because you don't adhere to something. It was passed in some senate somewhere by people who say they know God. Well, Jesus, his, his, his answer to all of these folks was very simply that his disciples are following him. And if they're following him, some of these traditions don't have anything to do with their salvation. So why in the world should he, they adhere to him? So he says in verse 6, 750 years ago, Isaiah prophesied about you hypocrites. And he said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart are far from me. I wonder, folks, how many people today go to church every Sunday that don't want to be there? They go there because their spouse makes them go. They go there because mom and dad drag them there. They go there because they have to go watch their kids make a performance in some kind of a play. But they have no desire to be around Christians or preacher. That's all across this nation. They honor the Lord with their lips, but not with their heart. As a pastor, I come in contact with people every day of each week who know how to speak religious language unto me. They know how to say all those things that make it seem like they're interested in God. Maybe they came up in Sunday school. They've learned a few hymns. You can ask them, oh, I've been looking for you to come out to church or something like that. And they'll just say anything just to make it seem like they're interested just to get a preacher out of their way. I'd say they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They're not interested in God. They're not interested in the things of God. These very These very people I've seen get in trouble and then all of a sudden they call on the God they haven't wanted to spend any time with. And then expect God to redeem them and get them out of trouble. But they try to rely and hold on to traditions. I had a conversation one time with a gentleman. We got into the the whole issue of covenant and the issue of baptism and the issue of walking with God. And we were talking about how grace changes a life. Your life is totally different when God really comes in and deals with you. And so he was hitting me with all of these different things about their church membership and how all of this operates. And I said to him something along these lines. I said, I'm a Holy Ghost filled preacher. I love the Lord. I've been serving God as a teenager. I said, if I came to your church, would you guys allow me to take communion with you? He said, oh, no, 
Oh no, you you, you got to be you got to be a member of our church to, to to take communion with us. I said, really? I said, well, you can take it with us if you're a believer. Ours is open. You can share. I said, because when we all get to heaven, I can promise you the same blood that made it possible for us to enter the pearly gates is the same blood that makes it possible for us to share in communion together. So I could see that the, the conversation was going downhill quick. So then I said to him, I said, I want to ask you a question. I said, which I'm still talking about traditions now. I said, suppose that somebody is... Methodist or something like that, or what, whatever background it could be where they, they, they sprinkle the, the kids and stuff. I said, let, let's suppose a, a kid has that applied to their life as an infant, and then as they get older, they turn from God and never, ever in their life exhibit any kind of love for God or any grace for God in their life. What if they pass away? What kind of funeral do you give them? They said, we give them a Christian Burial. I say you give a Christian burial to a man or woman that's never been a Christian, never lived like a Christian, could have been an alcoholic all their life. I said, I can't get in the door with you to share in communion with you, but you try to put somebody in heaven that's never one day lived a life for Jesus. It's this kind of confusion, folks, that has led to what we have today. You never find anybody in the New Testament Name the name of Jesus that made it through those pearly gates that didn't live the life on planet Earth. You see, Jesus said to those Pharisees and scribes, Isaiah prophesied well about you hypocrites. He said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. I don't want to spend my life telling people that I love Jesus from the pulpit, but then outside the pulpit I don't care about God. I don't want to spend my life trying to talk to people about Jesus, but... I really have no interest in him. Verse 7, the Lord goes so far as to say, in vain they worship me. Vain they worship me. That means the whole situation with church life is of no value, no meaning at all. Have you ever stood in a, a funeral or a church service where people are singing hymns or singing songs about God and it doesn't seem like any of them even know the God they're singing to? Have you ever noticed that uh, on the, the countenance of some people's faces when they're singing songs that should be uplifting and producing joy and smiles on their face, they're staring at their watch because they don't care anything about God? The vanity of worship. And this is what Jesus is dealing with right here. He said, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men, the commandments of men have usurped the place of the teachings of God. So that now we honor the teachings of men more so than we do the teachings of God. And he says, for the laying aside of the commandment, you hold the tradition of men and the washing of pots and cups. And then verse nine, full well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. Don't tell me this isn't happening today. Think, think about this. We're talking about the traditions of men. There was a, a lady in the Bible named Rebecca. She was married to Isaac. They got married when Isaac was about 40. She conceived after 20 years. And she was pregnant with two babies, not just one. So one day she goes to God and she says, Father, I don't understand why there's all this tussling going on inside of me. These boys are, I mean, these babies just making a ruckus in here and I don't understand it. So the Lord says to her, you have in your womb two nations. He goes on to say the elders going to serve the younger two nations. So what he's saying is each of those children are going to come to adulthood 
if they're going to produce seed and that seed is going to come to adulthood and they're going to have children and their children are going to get bigger and then they're going to have children. So the Lord is telling her in that conversation, those babies in your womb are going to be born and they're going to make it to adulthood because there are two nations in there. That's what God said about the babies. But the traditions of men today, the scientists and different people, they they tried to say, well, it's really not a baby in your womb. It's not a baby till it comes into this world. Well, that contradicts what God said to Jeremiah when he made it very plain. Before you were before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And their beliefs contradict what Ecclesiastes said. Well, it is God that maketh the bones to grow in a mother's womb. So even if people turn around and say, I reject the idea that it's a baby, it doesn't matter. God's word says it is. Anytime somebody fights against that, it doesn't matter who it is in our family that is opposed to standing up for the infants. They have full, fully well rejected the commandments of God and the teachings of Scripture to embrace the traditions of man. And we can do that in so many different areas of life. God said that God made the marriage between a man and a woman. They come together in covenant. The husband leaves his mom and dad, joins himself to the wife. The two become one. There are people in Hollywood and different places of the world. They say an open marriage is the best way to do it. You should be able to freelance, have as many relationships as you want. Prominent people have espouse this teaching and you can see them on television sometime and they'll walk down the red carpet there'll be a woman coming down the red carpet with her husband and with her wife and they all just act like it's normal and natural rejecting the counsel of God because they've accepted the teachings of men anything you allow to usurp the place of God in your life I can promise you it's going to control you but Jesus wasn't done he gave them an example He quoted one of the Ten Commandments. He said, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. He's quoting the law. But he goes on to say, you perverted that teaching from the Ten Commandments. And you come up with a belief in verse 11 and 12 that essentially says, if if, if I'm the, the child of my parents, anything that I do for them is a gift. They should consider it a privilege. I would do anything for them, for me to even be in their life. It's a gift for them. The Lord said, you've made the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which all of you have delivered and many other such things like. If there's one thing we are lacking in America today and in the church, it's honor. Honor has to do with respectability. Honor has to do with esteeming somebody else. You know what it is to be honorable to the elderly Here you're driving to a grocery store and you're looking for a place to park. You drive around for five or six minutes looking for a place to park. And then finally, you're three three, uh, rows over and you see a car backing out. So you speed around as fast as you can. You get there because you're ready to position yourself to pull in. And just when you're about to pull in, you look, there's another car. Got a handicap thing hanging from the mirror. And they're trying to pull in. Both of you are stopped looking at each other. And the person behind the steering wheel is over the age of 80. You're steering the driver down, waiting on the driver to back up. No, you back up. You honor the elderly and you let them drive in. And you go park somewhere and you walk an extra, extra 15 yards or whatever it is. The scripture says, honor your mother and father. It doesn't say do it if you agree with them. It says, honor them because it's important. 
When I go to games here, I'm surprised at the number of kids that'll cuss and use foul language around older people. When I was coming up, I'd have been pulling my dad's hands out of my mouth after I would have tried that. But I mean, this is the kind of situation we have today. Look at the number of parents without any kind of conscience or guilt at all. They'll cuss right in front of their kids and sometimes cuss at their kids, lacking honor in society. That kind of a situation is what Jesus was trying to contradict here or counteract here in verse number 10. Moses said, honor your father and your mother. They came up with tradition to say it's really not so bad. I can do what I want to do. I can look after my parents in the manner that I deem to be fit. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He said you make the word of God of no effect at all through your traditions. So there are people who will say, look, I'm. I'm a grown man. I can live any way that I want and I can say what I want whenever I want. Well, you can, but you'll still be dishonorable. And that's not going to change the fact that you're making a bad example for the people that are around you. And in a church, everything functions on the basis of honor, just like it does in the community. You show me a kid that's disrespectful to their parents and grandparents. I'll show you a kid be disrespectful to a Sunday school teacher. You show me somebody that's not going to listen to the Sunday school teacher, I'll show you somebody that's going to be mean to the aides and the teachers in the school. They're not going to listen to the faculty members or the administration. Those same kids will get older, and then when the police pull them over because they're speeding, they'll then get mad and want to tussle with the cop. And then after they've been arrested, they're going to turn around and say, I want to sue you because you haven't honored me the way I need to be honored. And all of this comes because we don't want somebody to put the law or apply the law to our life. We've embraced traditions that say, I can be dishonorable and it doesn't matter. So Jesus is dealing with this. He's saying to these scribes and Pharisees and to anybody that listens, he says in verse 14, called the people together, said, listen to me, everybody, and understand. There's nothing from outside of a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they which defile him, if anybody has ears to hear. Let him hear. When he got into the house, the disciples came to him privately and said, what's all this talk about stuff coming in and going out? Jesus said in verse 18, are you so without understanding also? Don't you perceive that it's not what goes out, but what comes in? Or excuse me, not what comes in, but what goes out. In verse 19, he says, when things enter into the belly, it goes out into the sewage. Verse 20, that which cometh out of a man defileth him for from within out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deed, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. You say, Pastor, how can all of this be inside somebody? Easy. The sin nature. The law of sin inside of us. We don't know the depths of depravity in us until we're given the opportunity to yield to sin. People say all the time, oh, I'd never do that. Please, please. Adam and Eve, they said that themselves. They'd never disobey the commandment of God until they found that tree and they didn't think God was anywhere near that tree. They'd walked by that tree many times. But that devil started proposing temptation to them when he presented it. They thought to themselves, maybe I could be like God. They looked at the fruit. They said, it does 
Looked pretty luscious. Doesn't look like all the fruit on the other branches. Pretty soon Eve ate it, gave it to her husband. Both of them ate it. Their eyes were open. They realized they were naked and they knew something was different. That's why they immediately went and hid in the bushes. Cover up their nakedness. And God comes along and he says, look, I know there's something wrong because you're hiding in the bushes. You typically would come out here and greet me when I'm walking through the garden in the cool of the day. So from the inside, this manifests. Sometimes when I'm traveling, I like to go into the bookstores and the airports, and, and I, I, I don't bother with the best-selling section. I, I usually go back to uh, some of the, the, the fiction and then sometimes the non-fiction section because I'm really interested in what folks are reading. You know? And I'll go and pull off something from the shelf, and I'll look at the blurbs on the back, and, and i say, oh, my goodness, that's, that, that, that seems interesting. And then I'll, I'll flip through there. And I look through this, wow, 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 people are reading this. And then I remind myself that that back in the 80s and then the 90s, there was that author Stephen King, who was really popular, making all those those books about uh, horror, uh, those those really scary kind of books that they kept making into movies. And and when I was traveling, I'd do that with him also. I'd stop and I'd look, I'd say, oh, oh my goodness, the, the, the rocking chair is killing people. You know, or, or the, the puppet is, 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 is stabbing people. And I'm looking at all of this and I'm thinking to myself, OK, what what kind of a mind sits around all day long dreaming up ways to present murder in the pages of a book? And see, when you when you listen to him in an interview or any other kind of writer that does that kind of stuff, you can see that when you live in that world, that's a perverse world. And then the only thing that's coming out, those kinds of thoughts. You look at the kind of programs we have on television sometimes, and each episode you wonder who in the world was the writer that was able to dream this up. And I can promise you it was somebody that long ago rejected the commandments of God, rejected the teachings of God. And once you reject the truth of God's word, you embrace error, you embrace what is false, and pretty soon that's all that's left to come out because that's all that we're putting in. And we see it again and again and again. The Lord said, it's that which comes out of a man that defiles this person. Evil thoughts proceed. And then all these, these other things. So for us as Christians then, it's helpful if we learn to walk outside of tradition. How do we do that? Romans 12 and 1. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The more you read the scripture and you change your thinking, you change your perspective, you change your outlook. And pretty soon you're walking out of step with different people. And they, they start saying, well, you you seem to be changing. I mean, I used to talk to you and we used to get along all the time because you 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 seem to agree with me all the time. But then you can say, well, I started reading the Bible. God's conforming my mind to what the what the scriptures say. So rather than me walking in step with what everybody in the world and in this culture is in, I'm trusting what the word of the Lord said, because I've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And I don't have to put my trust in the traditions of men anymore to expect to be saved. You don't have to be in any particular church, but you do need to be in the body of Christ to make it through the pearly gates. You don't have to embrace one particular denomination, but you do need to be affiliated with that vine that's called Jesus Christ, in which we're the branches. 
I'll tell you one more story. I was at a, <clears throat> at a gathering one time, had a lot of people that were there, and I was talking to some friends of mine who are Roman Catholic. And so we were just standing around talking about the, the way the nation is going and all of that and talking about Jesus and so on and so forth. So it was a, it was a very, very uh, cordial and congenial conversation. And so they said to me, they said, well, well Pastor Darrell said, our priest is coming. We're going to have a little fun with him. I said, okay. So, so they said, you just play along. I said, okay. Well, the, the priest came up and they said to their priest, oh, father, we're standing here talking to Pastor Darrell and we're thinking about converting and becoming Protestants. Well, the, the, the Roman priest wasn't part of the joke and he didn't find it funny. So he, 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 he launched in and he, he started, he said, well, I'm just going to tell you that you, you need to let Brother Darrell know that he needs to be part of the, the Holy Roman Mother Church and that he's missing out week after week on salvation by missing Holy Mass. And he, he's going into all of this stuff. And, and I'm, I'm looking at them and they're looking at me and I can see the couple, they're thinking, okay, this is not the way we expected this to uh, continue. And then I, I'm, I'm going to be honest, you know, my, my, my reaction, you know, although it wasn't unchristian and uncharitable, it was less than exemplary. And, and when he finished saying what he had to say, then I said, I said, well, I tell you this, elephants will roost in trees before I kiss the Pope's toe. <laughs> and the couple realizes this has gone from bad to worse. And they wanted to just disappear. So the priest and I decided it'd probably be best if we just go our separate ways. They didn't have to leave his church, but they did have to explain to him that it began as a joke. But, but here's, the, here's the point that I'm, I'm getting at. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. There never has been, there isn't today, and there never will be a church that can give you salvation. Only the blood of Jesus can do that for you. And although you may never say that to somebody of another faith or something like that, you do need to know our trust is in him and him alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what your word says. Thank you for the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We, we know that we have to speak the truth and do it in love. And one thing for sure, we want our example to be the kind that will radiate and attract people to your son. But Lord, give us boldness. Give us the ability to speak our witness without fear. Help us to share our faith without being intimidated. And, and help us to grow in grace and in knowledge so that we'll be able to share our faith. I pray for everybody in here tonight, Lord, that, that you would grant them boldness. Let them walk in the mighty power of God and in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that by the end of next week, they will have witnessed to several people. And led them into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Oh God, these things we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen.